0: Welcome to the Hoyt Bow Hunting Podcast. I'm Alan Bolin, your host. I'm with Evan Williams, the Pro Staff Manager at Hoyt, and we have today some pretty awesome guests that I'm really excited to talk to. We have Drew Carroll and Lee Ellis. They are with Seek One, and these guys are <laughs> masters of um, a very niche whitetail hunting uh, whitetail hunting video operation. They have some incredible videos on YouTube of the story and process of harvesting some really big bucks, um, guys, welcome to the show. Um, Lee and Drew, good to, good to talk to you guys. So how did you guys meet? I mean, you guys are our partners in this whitetail, uh, hunting video operation and produce some great stuff. You guys been friends a long time.
1: Yeah, we have. I mean, that, that goes back to eighth grade, really. Uh, eighth grade, eighth grade. Yeah. yeah. Wow. We know each other pretty well at this point. <laughs> yeah, right on. Um, Have you guys always hunted together since then? No, I mean I, Drew grew up in a hunting family, but I'd never really hunted at all. Um, oh wow, we were fish. We became buddies just because, like, I like to fish and stuff. And we were fishing one day, um, you know, just like a neighborhood pond. And Drew was like, "Holy cow, dude! There are rubs everywhere below this pond." Uh, so I didn't even know what a rub was. And there was, there was like this bottom was just obliterated. And we were what, 15? Yeah. Yeah. We couldn't drive. Yeah. yeah. And so <clears throat> that's kind of like, that was the first kind of glimpse into like, wow, there's, there's deer around here. And, uh, you know, I, I had zero whitetail hunting experience. And so it was really me just kind of piggybacking on Drew's. You know what, level of knowledge he had on it, which was very very limited.
0: (laughs) (laughs) My my family, you guys have figured out a lot together over the last so. How old are you now? How long has this been since you were 15?
2: We're 30 now, so
0: okay. So, last 15 years, you guys have been learning a
1: ton. Oh, yeah, yeah. and that's what's been kind of crazy is like we didn't really have someone walking us through step by step saying, This is what you do, this is what you don't do. Like, we learned a lot by making mistakes. And it's, a lot of that has come full circle now, 15 years later, and it's like, you know, a lot of these mistakes we were making were heartbreakers. And it just like, you know, at the time it sucked, it was the worst, but it just kind of instills and ingrains things in you that, you know, I think have made us a master of our craft because of all the mistakes we've learned. We didn't have someone that just told us what to do. We actually went out and screwed up countless times Uh, and learn from those. And that's, what's kind of, you know, brought us to where we are. If you had to, uh, you know, say what makes seek
0: one different from other whitetail hunting videos, because there's obviously a lot of them. And, you know, I, I of course know the difference because I've seen your stuff. It's, it's incredible and extremely interesting, but in your words, what makes it different?
2: I mean, I think there's, there's things that make the way that we hunt different than what most people are doing up until the last couple of years. Um, and then like the whole video side of things, I think we do some things different there as well, but I mean, hunting urban areas in general, like that's not what I guess this industry is kind of what white hill, white tail hunting is for the last 10, 15 years. So that's so, the stories that like happen, just hunting in this environment around a lot of people and just like, the way that these deer track, everything about it just the hunt itself makes for
1: a unique story there's there's so much to that question of what makes it yeah. all different i mean i if we're being honest like i feel like i mean as little as you know three four years ago drew and i were trying to you know get into this industry because what we were doing like the stories that were happening to us were incredible and we wanted to tell them and if i'm being honest like i felt like we were treated as outsiders From the hunting world just because this was what we were doing was so different and and honestly misunderstood in so many ways. So what part of it, Lee, do you mean when you say it was so different that you felt like an outsider? Well what piece? Yeah. So one, like you're from the city and most city slickers, like where are you guys from, by the way? Just from our
0: listeners. You guys are from Atlanta, Georgia. And so you guys are obviously hunting tiny deer in the south, right? <laughs> tiny, tiny deer. Very
2: small. <laughs> mm-hmm. Picture a really wide-angle lens and make them look photography. Huge.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I unbelievable, unbelievable bucks. You guys are hunting in the south in these suburban areas, and so so you feel like these. You're from the city. You're hunting in the city or just outside of the city, and to to the rest of the industry, that was very foreign, and you didn't feel just general acceptance in the beginning.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's different different layers of why I, I felt like that, but I think a lot of it was just that, yeah, I mean, we're from the city, like we're not the demographic that should belong in the hunting community. And then we start hunting around these places and there's so many different just misconceptions about urban whitetails and their behaviors and things like that, that people just didn't understand the level of just how much effort and time and, that, that goes into actually patterning a mature whitetail animal in a suburban environment. And when I say suburban environment, I mean, that is, you know, we hunt tracks that are a half acre that back up to, you know, a lot of acreage. We have tracks that are 800 acres and anywhere in between. I mean, we, if you're in the center point of Atlanta, drive an hour in any direction, North, Southeast, or West, and that's where we're hunting. So some of it is urban, but some of it is also, you know, more rural, but, I just feel like, you know, most of your hunting was being done on large farms, public land, large acreages, and the whole knocking on doors, getting permission. And sometimes you're, you know, not sometimes, pretty much every time you're hunting, you're hearing people or leaf blowers or something like that. People's conception is like, oh, well, that's that their view on it was that's not hunting.
3: Yeah. Wow. So so with with you guys hunting, again, these suburban bucks that are, like you said, so close to that downtown and, and these these suburban areas when you talk about patterning um you know what kind of mapping software are you using use of trail cameras but specifically like how how are these deer differing in their keenness and their ability especially being around people so much when I mean, you're hunting a lot of backyards on these smaller tracks, and these these houses they're butted up so close to each other with woods at the back end of the property. So how how do those mannerisms differ when they're around that human environment and element so much more than than you know deer out in the Midwest that people are hunting on larger tracks?
2: Yeah. Uh, so to answer your first question, we're using Onyx uh, as our mapping system, and we spend countless hours on maps. I mean, just staring at the same thing over and over again until these little pockets of wood start popping out. Um, and what makes urban deer difficult to pattern is that they travel so much. They could be in one little five acre chunk of woods and then the next morning they could be seven miles away and be in another chunk of woods.
0: That's so interesting because when I imagined urban deer, I figured that they were less, they had less range because you know, there's a little patch of woods and they just yeah. live there. So you're saying they have a lot of range. That's very interesting.
2: I, w- I would argue that they have more range because they have to travel farther to get to cover like the, the amount of wood that a rural deer would, would cover. Yeah. I mean, we only have essentially the undeveloped land is floodplain, creek bottoms, river bottoms. And so they're going miles on a piece of property that may only be a hundred yards wide. And so right. they're used as highways. Um, and, and they know where these other big blocks of woods are that hold does and food, so they may travel miles at night to get to the next block.
1: I had a, I had a deer that showed up on uh, in, in one night. He showed up on two trail cams that were seven miles apart. Incredible! And, um,
3: in one night, went seven
1: miles. These deer are still wild. I mean, every and in, in, in every way, and especially like you know, young bucks are going to act like young bucks. They're using daylight more. They're just kind of do to do to do but like we're specifically hunting whitetails that are at the minimum five and a half, and they're a whole different animal. There's just something instinctual about them that just changes at that age, and they go nocturnal, and they're traveling. Every deer has a different behavior. I mean, just like people, each person has a different personality. Every single deer is the same way. Some of them travel for miles, and that's what makes them sometimes so hard to kill is that Okay, yeah, he was in your area last night, but he's seven miles away now and he's not coming back for another month, or he may never come back. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. sometimes these deer behaviors are so unpredictable. And there's just there's actually so many places that they can travel to and hide, but they are absolutely wild in every way, and they're a different, different creature when they hit that five and a half. But yeah. circling back to to kind of what y'all, Evan, your question was about, you know, some of these houses being so tight to some of these places, a, a common thing is like, Oh, well, these deer don't care about human scent. Well, the first, the first misconception that we already address is like, if there's five acres and a buck is in there, that's where he lives. That's just, he's there. You get access to it. You kill the deer. That's so far from the truth. One of the next things is like, one of the bigger things is, well, these deer, they're around people all the time. They smell people. They know what people are they're not afraid of human scent that's also very far from the truth we get busted all the time with a bad wind Uh, these deer are so fine-tuned to their environments that they know the difference when there is a human being in their woods and it can be the difference in 20 yards someone Mm -hmm. being up by, by their house they smell it they see it not a threat If they smell something that's closer, they can't find it, they don't like it. They'll blow out of there and be gone. And it's, and these deer, like there's, like I said, I mean, they're just so fine tuned to their environments that if anything changes, they're aware of it.
2: Think about a deer living on like a 500 acre chunk of woods and that's his core area. He probably knows the main trails, main food sources, water sources pretty well, but if this buck is living in a five acre piece of woods all summer, I mean, that thing knows if a twig, right. They know, they know who, what houses have kids that play in the backyard. They know who grills on Wednesdays and Fridays. Like these things know what's going on in their block of woods. And if you
1: go in there, then they it makes it sometimes very difficult to hunt because these deer will bed in areas where they can, like, if they're held up, you know, they've been running around all night they're held up in this little five acre chunk that they're gonna kind of move around in, me and around in the morning. They'll bed in an area where they can see the entire five acres and it's like, they're very aware of what is happening. So your access into these places, I cannot tell you how many times that the cat and mouse game goes on where it's like, you hunt, you hunt, you hunt. The one time you don't hunt, the deer shows and it goes on and on and on. And what we've actually learned over the years, that these deer are very good at patterning you. And where you're coming in, they'll bed, where they can see you, where they can hear you. And it it, it is amazing how brilliant these animals are, especially when they get age on them. Just with everything they've experienced. There's also tons of people hunting these deer now. And they're getting educated constantly more and more and more. The buck I killed this year, my most recent one that was 177 inches, was already shot by another hunter in the shoulder. Oh, wow. I've got another deer that I'm praying makes it. It's like a 160 inch three-year-old. He's already been shot in the shoulder. So yeah, I, I would make the argument that some of these whitetails are probably the most pressured whitetails in the country. Okay. So
0: I hear what you're saying. I mean, it sounds incredibly difficult. They move like crazy. You have to get permission on multiple pieces of property. You're hunting little tiny windows and big travel quarters. They're they they've become more heavily hunted. Why on earth then would you hunt these suburban bucks?
2: <laughs> what, what's, the, what's the, what's the upside? Boys? <laughs> We're addicted. We can't, we can't get away from it.
0: Yeah. No, it, really? Uh, like there's gotta be an upside to this. I mean, yeah. y- you're killing enormous deer and, and I know it doesn't come easy and I want to talk more. I really want to dig into that side of it, but well, think, but you, you have killed some great bad. bucks. You've killed, have you killed um, at least one over 200? Have there been, I've killed two
1: over 200, two over 200. Oh my
3: goodness. You got Zeus and he went two or three and change.
1: Yeah. And then I killed Thor. He was two Oh seven. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, so
0: that's potentially the upside, right? And and so why do you think, you know, I, I think about suburban deer and I think, well, you know, these deer might be exposed to, you know, 20 different hunters backyards, And so you got 20 different guys who may know this. I mean, maybe they just are completely so, um, you know, reclusive that the hunter doesn't know they're there, but they're, they're crossing through a lot of property of somebody who wants to kill them if they knew they existed. And probably a lot of these guys, if they have a little track, track of woods, they're going to put up a camera. So how is it that these deer are getting age class? That's beyond what would be, say you had a 300 acre piece, you know, out out in the sticks and, and all your neighbors hunted and they each had 300 acre pieces, but you're not getting the same age class there as you do here in, in the urban environment where they actually have more people after them. Yeah. Why is I think, that happening?
2: I, I think it's a combination of things. One of them is if you look at a map of Atlanta, it's not like, I think a lot of people who haven't been here think it's mostly flat and it's not, there's tons of Creek bottoms, ridges, little pockets all over the place. Um, just in the terrain features. And then you throw in neighborhoods that, you know, intertwine with these creeks and rivers and stuff. There's an infinite number of little pockets that these deer can hide. And so something that we've kind of figured out over the years is a lot of these big mature bucks, they stay away from the big blocks of woods in the summertime. Summertime, they'll go up away from these big chunks and get up in these neighborhoods and hide in like a little five acre chunk where they know they're not going to be messed with. Um, and then obviously like during rut, they're going to start running, roaming around finding does. But,
0: uh, I mean, for and, them, and when do you guys like to hunt them the most? I mean, is it, it, do you prefer when they're a little more patternable, but more nocturnal or do you like when it's more random and they're more, you know, uh, daylight driven in the rut? If you can, if you can pinpoint one in the summertime, then you have a good chance
2: of an opportunity for the first couple weeks of the season.
0: When's the season open in Georgia?
2: Second week of September, typically. Okay. It's pretty yeah. early, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, to, to jump back to your question of like, why are these deer reaching maturity as opposed to other play, like larger tracks? Uh, I would tell you that it used to happen a lot more than yeah. it does now. Okay. Uh, it is very very difficult to find a deer that is five and a half or older now mm-hmm. i mean because, very, because of the yeah. amount of people now doing this the amount yeah. of people they're doing it and there's you know a lot of two and three year old bucks that are getting shot and you know it used to be it used to be a hidden secret for a long time and you could find mature deer everywhere but it is getting so extensive the amount of resources and time and effort it takes just to find a deer that's five and a half. I was running, I, I just in Atlanta alone, I have probably 250 places of written permission and I'm running. I'm going to ask that 250 different landowners you deal with. That's awesome. And I'm getting probably now I'm getting 50 new places a year at least. Yeah. Um, we're running between you and I both like 60 plus cameras and constantly rotating them around to different places. So it's, it's just a constant search. And yeah. it is it is not easy to find a five and a half year old deer like it used to be. It's do getting- Do you
0: guys, do you guys follow go. rumors or do you do you find your own bucks <laughs> usually just like out of the blue because you have properties you like and you're checking them or do you hear about them and then you go try to find them? I love chasing rumors like in the yeah. West. I, I chase mm-hmm. mule deer rumors all the time. You know, I'm- <laughs> Well he's um, the king of Jason down leads,
2: the king of it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it, 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 It,
2: you can waste a lot of time with that. Yeah, for sure. Sure. Yeah. You kind of learn which ones are actually legit and and worthwhile chasing. They have to be collaborated by about three or four different people until you're like, all right, there's something to this.
0: And And how do you, how do you have that communication when they say, I saw a big buck out in that field. You say, okay, well, and you hold out your hands, was he (laughs) this wide or, you you know, know, and say, yeah, nice. I like it. I like it. That's a good. So yeah. show
1: up. Show them 170 inch deer, and you say, "What do he look like
0: compared to this?"
1: You got to get creative with the city slickers because they. I mean, a big buck is pretty relative term for these people, and yeah. so we'll actually show pictures. Like, is did he look like this? But I've also had. I mean, we kind of operate under a "leave no stone unturned" policy. It's like we just follow a lead till we to the very end, and we know exactly what deer it was that was seen or being talked about, whatever, and. Yeah. Like Drew said, like sometimes it is a tremendous amount of waste of time. You followed the lead of this massive buck and ended up being like, you know, 120 uh, young deer. And we're just like, yeah, that, that was a total waste of time. But I've also shown a homeowner a picture of Zeus and he was like, oh yeah, the buck I saw looked just like that. And I go over there, I, I spent a week just banging on doors, getting permission, finally getting cameras out. And I get a picture of the deer and it's like a, you know, seven pointer. There's an old seven pointer. I, I went back to the homeowner that gave me the lead on this, you know, big Zeus like deer. And I was like, is this the deer you saw? He goes, yeah, yeah, that's probably him. <laughs> I was like, man, far, far off of what, you, what we were thinking this thing was. Yeah. That's a unique challenge.
0: Seriously. Yeah. That, yeah. So do you, do you have pieces that, um, you know, like with a big mule deer buck, if, if I kill a mule deer buck out of a spot, I know two out of three years is going to hold another big buck. It just, they just, the big bucks like those same areas. Um, what, uh, does that, is that true with whitetail as well? Do you have certain tracks, you know, have high potential of, of showing something up?
2: I would say that would be true if pressure wasn't, hunting pressure wasn't in the equation. Okay. Years ago, I guess when we first started doing this, the very first spot that we got that Lee was talking about every single year, there would be, multiple mature bucks in there mature shooters nowadays i feel like once we kill a like a mature buck out of a spot we usually just move on whether wow. it's hunting hunting pressure moves in or i don't know so just something else happens it takes a while for these spots to,
3: to uh, replenish i would say yeah. do you do you keep that in mind like okay you take a you take a mature buck out of there let's say you know 177 inch <laughs> you know, five and a half year old But you have spent so much time with your camera gathering intel to be able to do that, and you're cataloging those bucks. Like, okay, here's a here's a two year old. Yeah, you know he's already you know, let's say a one thirty buck. Catalog him and come back in two more years. One, see if he's still around. And two, okay, for sure, he's four and a half. Like, like okay, you know, continuing to maintain those those target lists of here's a potential two or three year old and, and, and circling back around using that. that yeah. Song. Do you guys have an
0: organized
1: way to keep your inventory? Honestly, like we kind of get, yay. One of the guys on our, show, on our channel makes fun of us for this. Cause like he's, when he looks at deer, he's like, oh yeah, but, you know, it's a deer or whatever. But it's like, you know how, when you listen to a song like 10 years ago and it was just an absolute banger and you hear it 10 years later and you know, every word it's like, I think my mind works in that same way that like it just is storing deer information the same way. Like I just remember every picture, what, when it was, where it was, exactly characteristics of each deer. And I can see a deer that, you know, I hadn't seen in two years and be like, oh yeah, that's that buck that I had on camera, you know, two miles down the road two years ago. yeah It's just, I don't know, it's weird how our mind works that way. No, it's, it's pattern recognition, man. Like I just, it's funny you say
0: that because just last week I was hunting a very specific deer in Kansas and this one night in the stand, I saw seven different bucks and he wasn't one of them. And so I tell my wife that on the phone that night, and she's like, well, how do you know? I, one of those seven could have been him. I'm like, Kami, there's, that's impossible. She's like, I don't think that's impossible. And she's a musician, right? And so I said to her, I said, Kami, that's like you showing me two pieces of music and me saying, well, those are the same. Obviously, they all have these little lines and dots on them. They they look the same to me, and but to you, they're completely different. Well, that's somebody who's hunted for decades, especially a certain type of animal. You you learn all these little characteristics, like the way the main beam you know turns at the end, or whatever it is, and you oh, yeah. know that buck is that buck, and he'll always be that buck, and I'll always recognize him. Yeah. And that's 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 cool. So you're just you just remember. Hey, I remember. There's a big young typical in this area and I want to
1: go check on them again. That's what you're thinking. Oh yeah. I mean, a lot of the deer we've hunted, we have years of history with the, the buck drew uh, was hunting that. Well, I guess both the drew was hunting a 200 inch deer this year. And one of our buddies actually got that deer, but he watched that deer for like five or six years. And so it's Evan, your point, like it is watching these deer for years and years and years and knowing their patterns and it's history that a lot of times kills these deer, because uh, we know what times of year they're going to go where. Oh, he did this last year. They typically stick to patterns like that, and so that history really helps us find you know find that next awesome deer. And like we keep tabs on a lot of young deer, kind of like the one I told you was already shot in the shoulder. Like I'm keeping tabs on six or seven young bucks, and I'm like, next year's their year. It, you know, maybe yeah. maybe one or two of them make it. And then that's the story that kind of happens. But, uh, jumping back to like, do we have certain areas that just replenish? I don't think I've killed any of my bucks in the same place over the last 10 years. It's been all in different places. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And, and again, it goes back to the, the challenges of
3: suburban hunting. It's having to relearn an entire area and get permission on so many potential small tracks where that deer could be summering traveling and then you know late season living and then finding those he's going to be moving to in the rut
0: that's that's a great observation evan because you know a guy who has his 800 acre piece that he's worked for 20 years he understands the patterns of those deer so well he knows if the wind's blowing this way they're going to be bedded here you know, he knows mm-hmm. all of those little details and you know, you guys drew and Lee, you guys are literally reinventing the wheel on every single piece of property and moving, you know, very far distances between bucks you're hunting. That's an incredibly difficult proposition. That's actually yeah. really well put.
2: And keep in mind, you can't even scout until you have permission. So I right, mean, right here and behind people's houses and looking at on and assuming, Hey, this block probably would hold, have bedding cover. But we don't. We don't even know until we actually get permission and step put in those woods. So that yeah. adds
0: a tremendous challenge to it. That's that's pretty incredible, guys. I'm 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 pretty much blown away now. I mean, you guys have really impressed. Like, I mean, I, the viewers or the listeners can't see the wall behind you guys yeah, in, in the video right now, but I'm looking at like like 800 inches of bone between five four or five deer. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. (laughs) And, and I can see like what it would take to actually hunt one of these deer. And, you know, I, I recently watched, um, the Zeus, uh, the, the four part Zeus hunt. And it's incredible to me how much work was put in on that deer. And it looks to me, Lee, like a couple of those years, you didn't even fill your tag in in the state of Georgia Yeah, or or you get more than one. We get, we get two buck tags a year. Okay. Okay. But okay. you, at least you hunted Zeus and went w- empty handed on that tag uh, a, a couple of times, a yep. few times. And, and the, the, the amount of strategy that you had to apply to that, it was incredible. You know, I've never actually watched three hunting videos in a row where nothing was killed and been so interested. <laughs> and then, and then okay. wanted, you know, to see the fourth one so badly. I called Evan cause he sent me links and I said, Evan, did he not kill it? He's like, no man, the fourth videos <laughs> over here, you got because it wasn't like linking on my YouTube. I'm like, okay, I got to find it, you know? So um, anyway, I- incredible story. So let me ask you guys this. I wonder if you could help me. So I'm like huge, like in hunting in Alaska and Northern Canada and sheep and caribou and all these different things and mule deer in the West and whitetail just like, I haven't, I- I've-, I've hunted whitetail eight years and I've, I've put exactly 83 days in the stand all through the peak of the rut. And I've, I've put 12 hour days in. So 83, 12 hour days sitting in the stand in, in three of the best counties in Ohio. And now one year in Kansas. And I have exactly zero shooting opportunities at deer over one hundred and fifty. <laughs> okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm honestly pretty frustrated about, about that, you know, and but I love it. On the other hand, I, I honestly can't, Put another, even sheep hunting and caribou hunting, all these incredible adventures I go on. I can't put one of those above whitetail hunting and how much I look forward to it every year. And I'm going eighty-three and zero right now. <laughs> First of all, is that abnormal? Eighty-three all day sits. You said, yeah, during the peak of the rut in, in four, <laughs> four of the best counties in the country. For so big deer. This all on the same property in Ohio, or are you like? No, uh, three rut. different. Three or four different pieces of prop. No, five different pieces of property in Ohio. And in Kansas this year, I had, I had access to seven or eight different pieces. And so Um, do you have,
2: do you have trail cam pictures of bucks that you're targeting or are you kind of sitting and kind of hoping?
0: Well, in in Kansas, yes. Um, and in Ohio, about half the time there was, you know, a deer pushing 160 that, that I was hunting, but I, I never had any absolute giants. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I had, of course, people helping me that live locally and, you know, helping with the cameras and stuff like that. But, you know, I live in Utah, so I got to yeah. get on an airplane or drive 15 hours or whatever it is to go on that hunt. And then I go out there and I sit all day, every day. And I feel like it's very random. Like I've taken friends on the hunt. I had a lease in Ohio and i take friends and they both shot bucks, like good bucks. And <laughs> I honestly, to be between me and you and <laughs> every listener, no now, here. I put them in the, I put them in the worst stand. That's you know? the problem, right there. <laughs> that problem. That's how whitetail hunting goes.
2: You have, yeah. to, you have to be the last one to choose the stand. You just tell them, go wherever you want. And then wherever they don't go, that's where the buck's going to show up.
0: So guys, oh, what am I doing oh, wrong? I, should I, I not hunt in the rut
1: when it's like pinball? I mean, what, What am I doing wrong? I have a piece of of advice. Um, so your all day sits very hardcore and kudos for you for that. Uh, but I would, I would say like the last year I was hunting, I was, I was sitting in the morning and after my morning sit, I would get down, I would drive around, I'd be knocking on doors, getting new places, like going after the deer. We, that's something even during the rut. Even during the rut, he okay. is moving somewhere in daylight. He's comfortable somewhere. You got to find where it is. And a lot of people, the, kind of what separates us from a lot of people that also suburban hunt is that they might get one spot and they get a picture of a deer and they hunt that spot, hunt that spot, hunt that spot. Well, that deer made, it made it never go down at that place. Even if he's there every day hunting, mm-hmm. we get at, like getting a picture of a deer is just the first step now you got to go find out where he's spending his time where he's going where does he really like you may have just gotten a picture a glimpse of him on the edge of his range and so you know i would hunt in the morning and i'd have i'd have 20 cameras out just for this one buck and i wow 30 spots every day i'd get down i'd go knock on more doors looking at my maps thinking oh maybe he went here maybe he's here and i was just by process of elimination marking off places where okay he's not here he's not here he's shown up on these little places and i was putting myself in the best chance in the best places i thought where my highest percentage was to kill that deer and so That's super interesting uh, i'm i'm still so
0: worried about disturbing him like i've got this one spot where he's say he's showing up every night or or not every night but say four nights a week i got him on camera I'm like, man, I don't want to like go, what if I walk into his bedding area and blow him out? I, yeah, but then you know where he beds. And so and like- And he'll
2: be back. He's showing in daylight, you're saying?
0: No, so like, so in Kansas, just recently, this is the, this is the most fresh wound. Um, I, I he, he was showing up, he was coming by my camera nearly every night in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. And then there were two times where my wind was bad. So I didn't sit. And he came in during daylight. Now, obviously I know that Buck did that on purpose. I understand yeah. that, yeah. but now how do I, he there. He knew. yeah, well, he knew that he, for whatever reason, when the winds that direction, he, he felt comfortable coming out, walking into the day, into the wind during daylight, yeah. that, that was his thing, you know? And so I didn't sit, but that's the one time he felt comfortable coming in. Yeah. If, Twice. You, were,
2: if you were to say the deer showing up like every night, every other night, middle of the night that deer could be traveling from a mile or more away from bedding to get to where that your camera is. Right. But it, I mean with the knowledge that he showed up on a certain wind in daylight makes me think that he's probably closer. Um, but I mean, depending on like the property that you're hunting, I would have setups surrounding him cameras and stands surrounding him and just alternate based on the wind. And then just kind of keep choking down that area until you pinpoint exactly like where he he likes to spend
1: most of his time. We kind of call it like launching the spread. Like yeah. we'll, we'll have a grid of cameras out and it really helps you like know his movements because you can get a picture of him 600 yards away at 6am and at 615 he's at this other camera and you, you, you just kind of be like, okay, well he came from that direction. Like yeah. it helps you just kind of hone in on a deer. I'm, not, I'm definitely not recommending that you go every day, just like tromping through where you're hunting. No. But I do think you take those days where you do some scouting days. If you jump them up, Mark, where he was, like he will come back to that place to bed. Yeah. Um, and I have, I have so many questions. <laughs>
3: <laughs> like you have no idea right now. Um, and I, I, I love the fact that you guys talk about a grid network of cameras and that you specifically mentioned 20 cameras on one deer. Um, Alan and I were able to sit down with Ryan Carter and do, an episode about targeting elk, especially early season. And he mentioned the same thing. He has a grid network of cameras out. And when he finds a bull, he goes, I had one bull. I had 43 cameras on.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And that's, I, I love hearing how you set that network up. Um, and that you guys aren't afraid to go in and, Hey, if you jump a deer market, um, so we did the same thing a couple years ago, trying to find a buck for my wife. And went in to check a camera and he had shifted his pattern by about three hours and we jumped him. But luckily we jumped him while we were in a vehicle driving down to that spot. And he walked off, pulled camera cards, got right out and he was back in there six hours later. Yeah. So, so.
2: Bump it, bump and hunt is a big, or I don't know what they call it. Bump and dump or something is a technique that I know a lot of guys use out in the bed. just they know where the deer is headed. they bump him out and immediately get in a stand because he's good the deer wants to be there and if, yeah. if he identifies you as not like an immediate threat like if you're not sneaking in there like a predator he's going to run off he knows what you are and then he's going to slowly work his way back in um so
0: So, So, you know, uh, traveling, I feel like is, is a problem. Um, and you guys do out of state hunting too. So tell me how this works. You know, you go out, you know, I drive 13 hours to Kansas and I feel like I have to sit every single day. I I feel like, like, what else am I going to do? I can't, you know, I'm not at, I feel like if I was at home, I would choose my sit opportunities based on the optimal conditions. Uh, but when you're just out there and, and, but on the other hand, I'm super picky and I only want to shoot a giant. And that's just how I hunt. And so uh, what, what do you recommend for that, that situation? I mean,
2: first of all, I, I think you have to know that giant lives there before just going and sitting and hoping that a giant's going to show up. I mean, that was, I think that was my biggest mistake for a long time was like, before I got into the urban stuff was oh, I'm, I'm just going to go sit somewhere that looks good. And like in a rut, a big deer is going to eventually walk by if I sit here long enough. I mean, if the deer doesn't live there, they're they're not gonna walk by. That's I mean, it's so obvious. But at the same time, like especially traveling, you wanna be in the woods, but a lot of times your time is better spent scouting and finding and pinpointing the
0: deer. So well, I saw on the Zeus video, uh there was, I think it was on the third one. Um you guys said, okay, this he finally showed during daylight. It's November 5th, I think you said, and now we are ready to go kill this deer. Were, were you guys sitting every day up until then trying to just catch them or were you waiting for the
1: optimal moment to, to strike? We let our cameras do a lot of the homework for us. Um, I, I think that your first sit is your best sit. It's, it's just, you, you lose that ambush, uh, aspect when you're hunting a place repetitively because those deer are patterning you more and more every time you access that place. And so, and not just the buck you're hunting every, yeah, every all the deer. deer in
2: there is watching
1: so we let the cameras try and do as much of the homework as we can and that's when they tell us okay like we need to go sit like it is go time to go sit and you never really know like where or when that kind of green light situation happens uh that place where zeus finally showed up for the first time in daylight was a food plot i had spent so many months just nurturing this food plot, doing everything like mock scrapes, stands, everything. Like, and I was like, this is where it's going to go down for sure. He showed up there one time in daylight and then was just gone the rest of it. And I was like, you know, I had to go find him and track him down and I ended up shooting shooting him in the woods, not on a food plot. Yeah. And it was just, uh, I had, I had found the deer's rut range and I put myself right in the smack dab middle of it. And it was a funnel in the middle. And I had one picture of daylight in there of all the grid of cameras. That was the place he kind of most central point where he came through the most. And it was like, okay, it's like, he's clearly shown here in daylight. Once it's the rut, like he's going to funnel back through here. We need to sit. And we sat and sat and sat and then boom, it happened. And, and yeah, that, so, so that one you did sit on for a, a long,
0: like multiple days, It was uh, probably
2: 20, 20 sits total. Not in that stand. No, no, not in the stand. So yeah, I mean, it, it totally differs what time of year it is. Early season, we don't sit until the deer shows up in daylight, probably multiple times in a week because early season, they're way more locked down on one spot. It's easier to blow them out of a spot early season. Okay. Um, and I don't know They could, if, if they pattern you when they're in that little tight core area, then you're probably not going to kill the deer there. So
0: you're looking for optimal conditions early then you're not going to sit yeah. every night. You're you're waiting. Okay. He just showed yeah. last night during daylight, last 10 minutes of daylight, the wind's right tomorrow night. I'm on it. Yeah.
2: If he's not showing
1: up in daylight, then we're not, then we're not hunting. And okay. if that deer figures out how you're getting into your stand, it's over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So to, to minimize your
3: impact in a lot of those areas, when you're running so many cameras, I mean, we're on cell cameras or, we're we doing like a cutting back like link type system where you have multiple cameras tied to one mother camera. That way you don't have to go in a lot of times to figure out, hey, he's been
1: here three days this week already during daylight.
3: Yeah, we're, we're running cell cams
2: when we can.
1: That real time information yeah, is it's- critical. Uh, circling back to the Zeus thing and a tactic that uh, Alan, it kind of circles back to like the scouting if you bump a deer kind of thing. Um, how I found that central location for Zeus was I knocked on a door. I did not get permission to hunt, but I did get permission to put a camera out. I saw that. A small win, And so I walked back in that piece of woods and I jumped him up bedded with a doe. And that's when I laid eyes wow. on him. That's, yeah, that's when I laid eyes on him for the first time, like in that November time frame, And just that little bit of information just gave me so much to kind of build off of and a tactic that, you know, Evan, kind of like you were saying how you and your wife drove up in the car, the deer didn't really associate with danger. Zeus saw me walk down into this bottom. And as soon as I laid eyes on him, I quit being quiet and I just started talking to myself Just, just because they're used to people talking, you're not acting like a predator. And he didn't really associate me with danger. So I just sat there and talked to myself. I was making, I was not making eye contact with him. I was pretending like I didn't even see him. And I just took slowly backed out of that wooded section. And he had zero clue, you know, about, he didn't associate me with a predator at all. Um, and so then I was able to go knock on other doors and actually get permission to access that place and, uh, you know, put a camera would you, in. Would it you classify
0: cool. that more as an urban tactic? Yes, for sure.
2: That is one of the a big differences.
0: Yeah. So, I'm a mountain goat <laughs> outfitter in, in British Columbia. And I know here in Utah, the best way to kill a mountain goat is to dress in bright clothes and carry around a camera and pretend like you're a tourist. And, <laughs> and,
1: but that doesn't work in BC. I'll tell you that. Yeah. No, that's so, an urban tactic. I mean, you're yeah, using anything against them, anything in their environment that, that, against them. And I don't, that doesn't matter if it's an urban environment. I've got a friend that, Uh, has a thousand acre farm in South Georgia and they go fill all their feeders with their ATV. And I told him, I was like, look, instead of walking into your stand that you have set up over this field and feeder, I was like, you need to drop an ATV in there because those deer are used to it and they're just thinking, Oh, that's normal. He's just filling the feeder. I was like, and then you hop out, climb in your stand. And when that ATV is gone, they're associating that whatever was in there is gone and those deer will come in. So you're just using whatever situation you're kind of given against them, um, in any way you can.
3: So, so when you're asking permission on all these places, and again, you, you didn't get permission to hunt this one piece, but you did get permission to put cameras on, to start developing that bigger plan around it. I think one thing, and there's been numerous articles written about it. One of the things that I find with hunters that they make as a mistake when they're asking for permission is they walk up during season, Wearing camo—that's <laughs> um, and, and, and again, going back to that Zeus video, you guys are rolling out there, and you're in your Mercedes. You're not in your hunting truck, stickers <laughs> and all that to identify that you're a hunter. Is that something that you guys specifically do when you're, you're up and asking permission? Is you're in normal everyday dress clothes, or or something like that? Because I noticed that that's one thing that I have started doing myself. You know, growing up in Kansas. I was asking permission to hunt from people I knew, but as I've ventured away from that core area, it's I keep a pair of cowboy boots and my wranglers and a little button up shirt in my truck at all times. So when I go to ask permission, I'm taking my hunting stuff off and I'm changing clothes to do that.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of rule one is, well, you just want to look like, you're a neighbor, essentially, Mm -hmm. uh, just part of the, part of the environment, part of the people, like you just, you try to paint the picture of like, this guy's, you know, a a neighbor, he's from this area, he's not an outsider. And, you know, not saying that we dress up like, you know, in very nice clothes, but we're not wearing like ripped up clothes. We're not dirty, things like that. I mean, we're wearing, you know, just like a presentable t-shirt or, you know, in, and clean jeans, things like that. Um, you're just trying to like, you don't want to look like a salesman, but you want to look like a local essentially like mm-hmm. you're part of the part of the neighborhood. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of the, the thing is like just your presentation of how you look and it like, People are judging you the second they lay eyes on you. Is this someone I trust? Can I open the door for this person? It's like, if they don't even open the door for you, just based on their looks, what they, the picture they're drawing in their head, like you have a 0% chance of getting hunting permission there. Yeah. But I'll say the beauty of the urban thing is that I did get a no from that person and I got a no from that person's neighbor, but I went to that person's neighbor and got a yes. So like there are, you know, other options when um you know one or two situations don't work out
3: so so you had you had permission for this let's say the, the the core central area for a camera their neighbor said no but the next one over said yes so how are you dealing with hunting those fringes and those boundaries in such tight close proximities when okay i have permission to hunt this one basically two properties over from the next piece i have what happens if you shoot a deer on that piece and he happens to be moving that direction and drops on one of those pieces that you've asked and haven't had permission to hunt. The, the zoo stories
2: answers both those questions because you were changing into your
1: camo behind the house. Yeah. Weren't you? Yeah. I had, I had neighbors that were, you know, not cool with hunting. And so I would walk in in normal clothes and then behind the house, I would put on my camo. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw that. Yeah. Most people don't want a dead deer on their property, whether or not they hate hunting or, you know, whatever their stance on hunting is. It's a difficult conversation to have, but in Georgia, you have to have permission to retrieve, or you have to have permission to retrieve an animal from someone's property. You can't just go on their property. Right. So every interaction we're having, we're trying to be as respectful as we can because you never know, like in the future, you may cross paths with them if a buck you're hunting falls on their property, something like that. and you know, it just takes a very kind of suave or smooth. You have to be very careful with words when you're, um, you know, asking permission to retrieve an animal uh, from someone that is uh, like already pretty clearly against hunting in general. So that's, that's part of what makes the whole urban thing so interesting is that there's just situations and drama that happens that doesn't happen on, you know, an 800 acre piece of land. And I think that's part of what's appealing to us is that there's just these kind of crazy scenarios that happen. Um you know You need you need skills that are beyond
0: your typical hunting skills. I mean people skills are everything. Skills are, are a big piece of it. So are you guys branching out at all uh to other states outside of uh your Atlanta core core hunting grounds? Are you are you looking at other stuff?
2: Yeah, yeah. So we've already hunted we've hunted Nashville. This is the third year now. Um, we finally killed a giant there, uh, this, this past, what, August and yeah. they're awesome August, their velvet season. Um, then we went to Kentucky this year and Lee killed a buck up there. Uh, like you said, we were in Birmingham yesterday, scouting and already have some good bucks on camera there. So we'll probably end up making that run
0: the next, are you guys days. doing it the same way? Are you going in and finding permission on your own? So, and,
2: and yeah, for, for Nashville, we started with a blank slate, literally just like all got together and called all the contacts we have. That's actually one of the episodes from a couple years ago, just pulled up the maps, got an idea by just talking to people of where like good pockets of genetics are. Um, and then just pounded the pavement from there. We spent a whole weekend or a long weekend only knocking on doors one summer, the first summer up there. Um, and so, yeah, we've, I don't know how many spots we, we probably have 10, 10 spots in Nashville now, um, and have some really really nice bucks on them. I was hunting a giant and the deer still alive, but I've been hunting the same deer for three years up there. And this thing was probably close to 200 last year. Um, but yeah, so that, I mean, we're hundred percent on our own in Nashville, uh, Kentucky, we had a guy that's doing the same thing that we're doing here in Atlanta up there. Um, so he helped us kind of get off on the right track, uh, let us hunt a couple of his properties. But we we always we always want to show like the the work and the effort that goes into this. Like we don't we don't want to just show up somewhere and put no effort in and shoot a deer and make a video about it. Um, so we spent a lot of time in Kentucky knocking on doors and kind of getting our footprint started there for years to come. So we'll continue. I think we'll probably have this like route that we take every road trip that we take every year and, and continue to expand that web in each of these cities. um yeah so. the
1: uh the so social media i mean is a great tool it also you know kind of sucks sometimes but uh, <laughs> yeah i was thinking
0: you guys have over a hundred thousand followers in in uh on your instagram account and probably you know um you know there's there's probably 10,000 from Atlanta. I'm get, you yeah. know, who knows, but yeah. that, that can't be too helpful.
1: Uh, no, I mean, we're definitely exposing the secret and, and, and we're getting a lot of people into hunting that have a similar story to me, which, you know, is that I didn't come from a hunting background. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but because, you know, this, you know, some high school kid or college kid or whoever it is, uh, knows a family friend that backs up to a Creek or, Went and knocked, you know, marked a spot and knocked on a door. Like now, they're in the hunting world, and yeah. if it means half to them of what it's meant to me, like they're going to love it and it's going to be awesome and it's going to be something that probably you know has very meaningful events in their life. Um, that's great. And, man. So that's like the the more important picture for us is that yeah, we're making it more difficult for ourselves, but um, you know the bigger picture is that we're getting a whole new demographic of people into hunting and exposing hunting to a lot of people that never really had a chance to get into the world. And so that's what we're excited about. But, um, kind of backing up to what drew is talking about with the whole social media thing. Like it's been really cool to connect with people in other cities and other States that are doing what we're doing. And so we wanted to show that this year by taking it on the road, connecting with these guys, And just kind of experiencing what they've experienced and what they're doing and show that like, this is possible to be, to be done anywhere in the country. And I think that's why our popularity has continued to kind of grow up over the years or people's interest in the videos have, have just gotten more and more has been growing is that this is happening all over the country. I mean, I, we get people's messages from literally every state across the country and it's, you know, Hey, saw your videos you know, it gave me the courage to go knock on the door and I have this spot now and I'm hunting this buck and I've been on them for, you know, three weeks now. And it's like, they're developing their story and the, all this stuff. And it's like, I just think we're opening people's eyes to not just like what's going on in Atlanta, but what's happening all over the country. Uh, we're looking at going to Dallas, Texas later this year. We're looking at going to a city in Ohio. I'm not going to say which one, but, um, it's just something that's happening all over the country. And, yes. uh, that's So exotic. well, sadly, like
0: that's, it's, that's really cool. I, I feel like, um, I feel like, I mean, that, that can make a difference. I mean, you have made a difference for, you know, bringing people to the sport and, and increasing opportunities for people that may, maybe they don't have five or 10 grand a year to go put into a lease, but they can. Find a neighbor that will let them hunt an acre or two. It's still hunting and it's, it's pretty amazing. They don't necessarily need to be dealing with 250 landowners and hunting 200 inch deer, but they could, if they wanted to, but there's also just the opportunity to just get involved close to home when you live in the suburbs or, or in the city for that matter. That's, that's awesome guys. I really have enjoyed this a lot. Well, so, um, so Drew, the, the deer that you hunted for several years and, um, and you said your, your buddy just recently killed it. Was that, did, was that posted on your Instagram page just a few posts ago?
2: Uh, yeah. So we just, I think I saw it yeah. on YouTube, uh, yeah. last week that okay. killed it at the end of September, I believe it was like last week of September.
0: So, so to finish up, to finish up our, our, uh, podcast here, why don't you tell us a little bit the story of that and, and, and how that went down?
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. So essentially when you're hunting urban areas, you're going to cross paths with other hunters. And some, sometimes it's guys that you're friends with, I mean, Lee and I have kind of developed boundaries based on certain areas that we target. Um, but it's inevitable that you're going to cross paths, chasing the same deer, end up at the same spot. Cause we don't tell each other like, Hey, we're, we're we found this great spot where we got permission here. So essentially what happened was. Um, we both got permission in the same block of woods, maybe four or five years ago on another really nice deer. Um, and then I also had permission maybe two miles away on this lot where these deer were growing in the summertime. Um, and I don't know, I've I've had pictures of this deer I called six by six for, I think six years now, basically when he was a two year old, he was already a six by six, just a little two inch tines, uh, six on each side and, um, hunted multiple other deer in this area. And every single year, the deer would summer at my spot and then sometime like late season, they would go over to this other spot where we both had permission and, um, we, I don't want to say we butted heads on the other deer, but essentially what would happen is we both know there's a big deer in the area and we both know that we're, we're each going to hunt it and, you know, go after it as hard as we possibly can. And communication somewhat stops during the season amicably. Like we're not, we're not pissed at each other or whatever. But, uh, so what happened with this deer, he was grown out at my spot was coming in like every single day and my entire lot got mowed down to build a house on the, on the lot. So all the wood, all the bedding area just got wiped out. And the second that happened, that 200 jumped several roads went a couple miles over to this other spot, um, where we, we both have permission, but I mean, our spots are maybe 150 yards apart. And, uh, so I had to go over there and start hunting the deer. And I don't know, I, I think I sat 13 times for them and some like, this is crazy to me. This is kind of shows how smart these deer are. I've been hunting maybe three different bucks in this area for five years. And this six by six deer has been in there every single year and I've never seen him from the stand, not one. Like he'd be showing up on camera and daylight all the time. And I never so
0: the camera is, is within, do, is there a camera by the stand? Is, does he show up on that camera but yeah. he just did, yeah, at night or whatever, okay. but just not when you're there?
2: Yeah. So I, he was showing up, I, I had him daylight twice the two days before opening day this year. Oh, wow. Um, like plenty of light hour, hour before dark. And I was going in there hunting good wind. Um, we talk about this a lot, but hunting, you don't want to burst the bubble of these deer. So w- we try to hunt as close to the houses as possible. And if you oh. watch the video, you can see my setup is like right on the fence line behind this person's pool. And essentially we're just trying, like we're trying to associate our scent with these houses as much as possible. But like, I was still blowing deer out of there with people grilling on their back deck, maybe 20 yards behind me. The still can smell that like I'm in their woods. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I was chasing the deer around, had multiple different spots, he was showing in daylight and I'd never saw him from the stand. I saw him in person one time, uh, when I was scouting a spot and then, um, my buddy was hunting 150 yards away. And he just happened to walk in front of him.
0: (laughs) You gotta have a little luck, man. In any type of hunting, you have to have a little bit of luck. And then
1: the deer died on Drew's property. He had permission.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was
2: actually hunting a different spot, maybe a few hundred yards away that evening and we were, I mean, I was texting the guy that was, that ended up killing him, but he was like, I just shot him. And I was like, please don't tell me he came from the direction of my stand. And he actually, he came from a different direction, but literally died on the property on the, oh, on the like three quarter acre
0: property that I had permission on. <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a pretty incredible story. I mean, the, the journey you guys take with these bucks and, and how long you hunt them and, and the, the wide variety of properties they live on. It's, it's astounding. That's pretty dang neat. Well, I, I've learned a lot and I appreciate you guys sharing and being so open. It's, it's yeah, actually, it's, it's cool. Fun. You guys aren't, I guess, more secretive about, about what you're doing. I, I think I really appreciate that. You know, I think it's, it's great for the hunting community that, that you guys are willing to share. So. Well, we definitely get some backlash
1: for it. People, people being like, man, you got to quit, quit ruining the secret. But, uh, you know, cast it, uh, yeah, cast out of the bag. And also it's, it's more important to us to, to get more people into, into hunting than to, you know, maybe have some more mature bucks running around. So. It's
0: good karma, man. It's good karma. Like I said, you got to have a little luck. And and karma can turn into luck. So I like it. I like it. Pay it forward. There you go. Yeah. Well, guys, yeah. thank you so much for your time. And I know on behalf of the listeners that uh we appreciate this. Yeah, big time. Guys. Thanks guys. Well, on. Appreciate right. the time.
3: Appreciate everything you're
0: doing. Let's talk again. Later, guys. Right. See